Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi again, and welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. As always, before we get going, I'd like to thank our producer-engineer, Dave Armbruster, for his outstanding work. He basically shows up at the house every Wednesday. We record our podcast. He'll post it on Wednesday night. And then here we are every Thursday. Now, I'm told by our friends at the Believe Network that a lot of you like to download podcasts on Mondays and Fridays. Makes sense, right? Work week coming up, weekend coming up. And maybe we make that move on Dialed In down the road. But for right now, we're pretty time-sensitive to events in sports, especially with the NFL and the playoffs and the Super Bowl coming up. We'll shift gears maybe uh, and make the change during basketball and baseball season when it's not so time-sensitive. But we'll stick with Thursdays for at least the time being. If you'd like to learn more about Dialed In, and I'm not just talking about our podcast, but the opportunity for me to come speak to your company, your employees, your organization, your school, your student-athletes, I invite you to visit DialedInTB, as in Tom Brenneman, DialedInTB.com. I recently had a chance to go speak to uh, Bob Huggins' men's basketball team at the West Virginia University and uh, was a keynote speaker at the recent NACTA convention. That's the National Association of College Directors of Athletics. And basically, I talk about words we use and how they can turn your world upside down in the blink of an eye, as one word did to me. You know, I figured to get ready for this presentation that I've spoken 190, 190 million words. Think about that number, 190 million words in 33 years of broadcasting, Major League Baseball and the NFL on Fox. That doesn't even include basketball or bowling for that matter. I've done bowling. And then one three-letter word ended my career at both places. 190 million words, 33 years, one three-letter word ended my career at both places. I said it. I own it. I have to live with it. And it's time now for me to try and help others not make the same mistake by words we say or hitting the most dangerous word in the English language with four letters in it, S-E-N-D, send, as in social media post. That's dialedintb.com. All right, today's show, from time to time, and we've talked about this, we're going to step outside the sports world, and we're going to talk about someone who's making an impact uh, for kids, and in this case, transgender kids. And before you say, you have got to be kidding me. And some of you are saying that right now. I mean, we've had Urban Meyer, we've had Brian Billick, we've had Troy Aikman, and now I'm talking about transgender kids. Okay, I get it. I get it. But before you say, you got to be kidding me, please give me a few minutes. This is a story of a guy named Chris Ciccinelli, college football star, at Big Division III powerhouse Mount Union in Alliance of Ohio. They've won 13 national championships, and he was a big star player. He's a business owner, he's a husband, he's a dad. And one of his kids was born a son named Luke, who as years started to go by began to identify as a girl. This story is amazing. I mean, this guy's a regular guy. He's a parent like you, me, 
has a wife, three kids, and now all of a sudden he's faced with something he never, ever, ever thought could happen. Try and give this one a shot. Just give it a shot. I promise we're back to sports next week. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call one 844 Y-E-S-C-H-N-K. Pure Romance. Now, many of you out there are familiar with Pure Romance. Is. Some of you may not be as familiar. It's based out of Cincinnati, Ohio, and was started a number of years ago. We'll get into that later on. But it's a company that's generating in sales better than $250 million a year. And it's extraordinary from when this company started, how it started, Chris Ciccinelli, what is pure romance for those of that, that, that may not know? Well, pure romance is in-home party plan. Um, you know, a lot of people might sit back and say, well, in-home, is that even possible anymore in, in, uh, in today's world, especially with COVID, right? But I, I think we're more kind of an event company, right, that deals and specializes in, in intimacy products, uh, bath products, beauty products, um, anything that, that can make somebody feel good about taking care of themselves and, and taking care of their relationship. I mean, think about it right now. I mean, the divorce rates creep into 60% around the United States and nobody's really doing anything about this. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we're working through is we had independent sales reps, almost 40,000 people that are going in and communicating either via online, Skype, in homes, whatever it might be uh, to give people education about their relationship and how to keep things, uh, how to keep things uh, spicy, how to keep things fun, how to make sure that self-care is kind of like the new sex care, right? And I think that, that a lot of people are kind of uh, biting by that. So my mom started this in the basement of our house in 1993 here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and, uh, you know, grew it uh, to about a million dollars. I came on in 2000, and uh, and she was like, hey, listen, I want to take and I want to scale this, 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 this company because I feel like more and more women need this ability to either make income or they need the ability to know more about their bodies, more about their sexual wellness, more about how to go out there and keep their relationships fun and fresh. And I remember sitting down with her and saying, Mom, okay, great. Well, what's the, what's the game plan here? She said, the game plan is I sent you to college. That's the game plan. You need to figure <laughs> this thing out. So my mom and I got in a U-Haul for three years, and that was in 2000. And uh, we got in a U-Haul from 2000 to 2003. We only came home Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, we were going around the country looking for people that uh, – a, wanted to book parties, or B, that wanted to become representatives for the organization. And uh, that year we went from a million to four, four to eight, eight to 16th, and just continued to keep going out there and, and talking about our business. Your mom's name is Patty Brisbane, and you mentioned she founded the company outside of Cincinnati in 1993. Now, at the time, you are in a single-family household. She raises you and your siblings. 
many of us grew up in a similar kind of environment. Uh, my mom, uh, even though my dad maybe only lived, you know, seven, eight, ten blocks, a mile, two miles at any given time away, it was still my sister, me, and my mom. She's working two, three jobs to make ends meet. Um, your mom was doing the same. You know, talk about, Chris, because uh, I've always just been – I am a champion for single moms that are trying to raise kids and work and do all these kinds of things. When you look back on the sacrifices that she made and the lessons that you learned from her, what would some of those be? You know, I think the first lesson that my mom had taught me is my mom was working for four pediatricians taking $4.25 an hour, right? And my mom was that person that Mm. said, you know what? Chris, every day you got to get ready for the parts that you want, not the parts that you have. That means you got to dress for the parts that you want, not the parts that you have. You need to make sure you study, you know, for the parts that you want, not the parts that you have. And I think my mom was always that person that says, hey, don't let somebody put a box around you. Don't let somebody say, hey, here's the glass ceiling, you know. And she was that person that said that, you know, you deserve bigger, you deserve better, but you got to also commit to that process, the process that's going to get you there, the process that maybe a big leaguer goes through or an NBA player goes through. You know, the foul shooting or the, the amount of uh, mm-hmm, at sure. And that was the whole thing. She's like, look, you got to commit to the process of making the phone calls, of doing things that most people don't want to do. And that was always her, her way of saying, hey, look, you got to be a student of whatever craft that you're going to do, and you need to do it with every bit of intensity in your body. And that, that's coming from my mom. And my mom was not a sports person. She wasn't a you know, an athlete, mm-hmm. but she was just committed uh, and committed to being and seeing that there was a better version than all of us. You went to Moeller High School, which for those in the Cincinnati area, they're very familiar. In fact, because of the football powerhouse program it was back in the 70s under Jerry Faust, who later became the head coach, of course, at Notre Dame. Um, you play football there. You're a great player there. You decide to go play for Mount Union College. Now, for those who don't know, that is the premier Division Three football power uh, in the history of the NCAA based out of Alliance, Ohio. They've won 13 national championships. You are a part of a couple of those teams there, an All-American player. Team sports, you know, for a lot of people growing up, you have fond memories of them, but I've always been convinced they teach you so much and so many very valuable lessons about life. In your career now, and as your career, you know, after you got out of high school or out of college, and now you move into the business world before you come to work with your mom, what are some of the things you think young people get out of playing team sports? You know, it's so funny. I talk, uh, everybody asks me that question all the time, and they said, what is the one thing that you can translate from, you know, your sports world to your business world? And I think it's pretty simple. I think it's discipline. Um, I think discipline was the thing that got me between, you know, the, it was the bridge between the want, all right, what I was going to go after, the goal that I was going out there to, to, to kind of set. A lot of people sit back and say, okay, here's a goal that I'm going to go. If it's a business that, hey, I want to grow a business from a million to, to 10 million, or I want to go from 1 million to 8 million, whatever that number is. Or I want to get better at you know, becoming you know, a better free throw shooter or better at, at uh, being a defensive back or whatever it might be. And I think that that was the one thing that uh, the team sports, you know, taught me is that, look, we have, you have to have discipline. Discipline is going to be the, the bridge between where you're at today and the goal that you want to get to. 
And I think that that's what, you know, Moeller going and playing for, you know, declining, going for and playing for, you know, Tim Shirer, which was, you know, my, you know, corner coach and Bob Crable. A lot of people know Bob Crable, you know, was an amazing, amazing guy. And they taught us discipline there. And that was one of the biggest things that I took away. But also they taught us a lot about what it meant to play your role. And not that everybody has to be a superstar. If we're superstars together, right, and we're all working towards that same commonality, that same goal, and we work together and everybody does their part, then whatever offense or whatever defense we were running, it all kind of played into harmony. And that's the same thing. Going to Mount Union was a totally different experience. You know, yes, I was very fortunate. I got to play on the 93 state championship team, you know, or state runner up against uh, uh, St. Ignatius, went to Mount Union College. And uh, you talk about going in there, becoming coming in a boy and leaving a man. Um, that was the biggest, biggest learning lesson that I could take away from Mount Union was to be comfortable in life. You have to do the most uncomfortable activity. You have to put the time in the film. You have to put the time in the weight room. You've got to put the time in when it's cold outside. You've got to make sure that you're doing all of the things in the same processes that I went through at Moeller or even at Mount Union are the same things that we operate in today with our our teams here in, in Cincinnati, our teams that we have in, in Canada, the teams that we have in Puerto Rico, the teams that we have in, in Australia. And the same thing becomes true. You have to be disciplined. You have to understand the roles that we play. And you have to understand if you want to make something in the business world, you know, sporting world, your kids want to be the best that they possibly could be at math club. They want to be the best they want to be on, at being in the band then ultimately they're going to have to get uncomfortable. They're going to have to put the time and the work ethic in to get them to be the best in their craft, their career, their sport, whatever it might be. And that's what I learned at Mount. That's what I learned at Moeller. You know, the other thing too is, um, I think the other thing is, is being able to count on somebody else. Sure. Um, you know, that's a big thing. Sure. You know, too many people want to be solo today and they want to, you know, they want to do things on their own. And I think if you want, really want to get ahead, um, it, it's really creating that tribe mentality, all of us rising together, all of us working together. Um, I, and I think that that's a big component of a lot of businesses that I see that are successful. A lot of teams is they create that tribe mentality that we're all in this together. We're all working towards a common goal. And I think that that's exactly what it took for my sporting career. And I, and I'm a big proponent with my own kids. My, my two daughters play volleyball. Uh, my son plays um, football. He plays basketball. And, uh, you know, we are a big team sport family. I think it's a big component for, for future development, growth, and business, and just life skills. You made your way after you get out of Mount Union. You make your own way in, in, in your career in the business world. Uh, you leave Cincinnati. You go to a couple of other places working. And then you get a phone call for your, from your mom um, about, coming back to work for the company that she started, Pure Romance. Um, was there any apprehension about coming back to the family business and, and working with, for, whatever word you want to use, for your mom? Oh, my God, absolutely. Uh, you know, you sit back and you think about this, right? It, it literally was not apropos to be – inside of uh selling these types of products right. back in in 2000 yeah. here i am you know i've been i've been working at, at a publicly traded company in in atlanta georgia and i was moving up fast tracking through that company pretty quickly and all of a sudden my mom said hey listen i think i have an opportunity that uh 
to, to be able to grow this. And the first thing out of my mouth was, mom, I'll get a job nowhere in the world if I come to work with you. You know, back at those times, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, we had my Simon Leach tried to arrest my mom at a, you know, at a, at a, um, a holiday in here. I mean, we had concerned citizens for family values picking out front of our yard. As, and, as and that's kids. because, and that's because Chris, you're selling sex toys, right? Well, and and that was a mentality of, the, yeah. of, of that time. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it, you know, and, and, but we, here's the thing it was so crazy. We never looked at, my mom never looked at this and said it was sex toys. My mom always was like, this is relationship enhancement. Sure. Products. Sure. See, the, the problem is, is it was always, it was such a male dominated industry. And here's a woman coming in here and trying to make it clean and clean it up and, and make it, you know, kind of taking the, 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 the TNA off the boxes, mm-hmm. making it very professional, making it something where, you know, it's more communicational to us. But, you know, here's this woman that basically, you know, stood up against all of the social norms, right? Mm-hmm. And she stood up and I, I still tell people today, they're going to write classes about her in business school because she didn't just stay status quo. And that's exactly when you see some of these people that have, you know, built great companies or built large organizations. You know, they just didn't follow the the normal trends. They buck things. I mean, VRBO. Did you ever think you'd be written somebody's else house? No, no you think doubt you'd ever about it. Somebody else's no car, doubt Uber. About it. Yep. You're and right. so, so when we look at this today, you know, back then I was on the same path. I was like, Mom, I can't work for you. There's no way. But she knew something that I didn't even know, and that there needed to be this discussion that was out there. And just like everybody thought, it needed to be something that people were looking for to spice up their relationship. And so I was on, on that same side in the beginning, like, no way. But over a period of time, her I talked, the more I kind of understood exactly what her goals were, what she was trying to accomplish. Because when, when I was at home, she was just my mom and she had this business, right? But when I got out of school and started working for other people and started seeing that, man, this is really good. She's doing a really great job. She does have this. The only difference is she hasn't scaled it yet. And so that was when I came in in 2000 and, uh, and we kind of just ran from there and, uh, she was the product expert. She was the, you know, the research and development team. Um, and then I was pretty much the person that said, okay, how are we going to market it? How are we going to scale it? How are we going to grow it? And together, you know, that was the, the, the really big plan was how would we do this? And her and I literally got a U-Haul. People think that this is kind of the funniest thing ever is that we did. We got a U-Haul and we went from city to city to city for three years. And we only came home Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, I ran the business off a StarTech mobile phone. And, you know, and I remember people joking in Cincinnati all the time going, man, is this ever going to do anything? Is this ever going to be a business? Were, were Were you ever embarrassed that your mom was in this line of work? With your buddies, with, you know, uh, teammates, I I mean, mean, you know. Yes, I mean, in in high school, you know, of course. I mean, you know, there would be parents that wouldn't let us hang out together because they thought that their kids would come over. My mom had some sort of warehouse or some sort of shop in the basement of her house. So, (laughs) you know, it was was so dumb. I mean, but we had to go through that as kids. Um, But, yeah, there was was embarrassment times. I mean, there was – people would always be like, oh, gosh, you know, that's the sex story. You know, uh, ladies. Kids. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, there was embarrassing moments, but again, you know, when I look back on this and I sit back and think about it today, um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't embarrassed. I wasn't, I just didn't understand. Yeah. And I think that my mom did a great job of shielding us. My mom never really told us what she did. All we knew is that she's, you know, until I got into like, until I was about maybe a freshman in high school, 
Um, you know, all I knew was this beauty products and things like that. She never really came out and told us what she did. Mm-hmm. Um, never really, you know, we weren't, we didn't understand, but as we got older, you know, then my mom was on the Bill Cunningham show and, you know, people around town started, you know, referring to her as such. <laughs> that kind of, you know, it was, it was kind of a, you know, game changer for, for her and for myself. So yeah, it was a little bit of ridicule, a little bit of joking, sure. you know, now it's so funny because all those people that laughed and joked about it probably now work for me somehow, some way. Yeah, I, I'm sure. You know, when you talk about riding around the country night after night after night, you're finishing these parties at one person's house, you're going and driving however long, spending the night in a hotel with your U-Haul, you're getting up the next morning, you're driving to wherever for the next person's house. Um. Was there one thing or one maybe story or one moment that that you found yourself looking at your mom and you're thinking, A, I can't believe my mom just did that. B, I can't believe that my mom is this. Man, I can't believe that I just allowed my mom to know that I'm that. Was Was there just one kind of thing that you look back on maybe when you guys all get together and you say, gosh, do you remember that one time? And there's, I would say there's several times uh, that I've looked back in them. I think my first, my, my most embarrassed moment was um, ever sitting in a board meeting. When I mean, we say board, just FYI, these are some of our top salespeople. They would come into Cincinnati. We would sit down. We'd talk about any types of new products that were going to be released or new products that were going to be launching, right? And we'd sit there, and I was talking about the business stuff, talking about where we're going to go with our compensation plan, new trips for next year, and then we get into products. So I'm just kind of like sitting there. And then all of a sudden, we start talking about products and start talking about toys. And I'm like, I remember my mom being descriptive on, on a product. I'm like, Oh my goodness. This is like, I can't believe I'm sitting in this room right now. I'm turning as red as possible. And I think she was at the same time sure. turning a little bit kind of red. And then I went, okay, I think, you know what? I think when we go into product, I'm going to step out and let you guys have this, Good move. this moment. And, uh, and you know what? We've kind of operated that way, you know, all of the time. I always tell people they like, what is, you know, are you involved in the research and development of the product? I said, no, I'm not. You know, I, I let the teams of, of very strong women, we have some of the best sales people in the country, I think in the world, and they get together, they talk. My mom brings them in. We've got people that run product development for us. We have some of the great, brightest minds when it comes to relationship enhancement, when it comes to beauty, when it comes to skin care, and I let them do it. But I remember sitting in those first couple of meetings going, I think I better stick to what I'm good at. Remember the role playing that my coaches told me? I need to play my role in, in the... I might have to go when the offense is on the field. I'm going to go and know that I'm on, I'm on the defensive side. So, uh, and that was that was just some of the fun times that uh, that in the beginning of us trying to find our cadence, finding our steps on how we work together. We're visiting with Chris Chickenelli from Pure Romance. When we come back, we're going to talk about how his life changed once he became a father. That's up next. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health, serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. 
Visiting with Chris Ciccinelli from Pure Romance. Chris, let's talk about your daughter, L.C. Born Luke Christopher, if I'm not mistaken. And Luke Christopher was born a male child. Um, When did you sense, or did you ever sense, or how frequently did you sense, if you did, that perhaps L.C. wasn't comfortable being a boy? Yeah. You know, it's, this is something that, uh, that we get off, asked often, and this is exactly why we start the foundation. I'll, I'll go through that with you. Um, you know, when, when Elsie was, uh, was born, and I was so excited, right? I mean, like, here it is. I mean, playing college football, playing, you know, every sport here in, 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 in uh, Cincinnati Moeller. Yeah, you're, I couldn't you're, you're the alpha excited. male, right? You're the yeah, alpha male I'm the guy. alpha male. Yep. And I'm super excited. Here I am. I get, I can't, re- I can't believe we get a baby boy. I'm, I'm super pumped. And next thing you know, you know, uh, get the footballs from all the, all the different places I played and they got the jerseys and everything. And so, you know, every time I would leave and go, you know, to go, uh, uh to travel and come back, you know, and Elle would be growing up one and two and then three. And then once we got to about the age of four, you know, I'd come home and all of a sudden, you know, I find Ellen's princess dresses and, you know, playing, wanting to play with Barbies and wanting to do all this other stuff. And I'm like, what the heck, you know, and always being say, Hey dad, I'm a girl, dad, I'm a girl. I'm like, no, 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 baby, you're a boy, you're a boy. And this happened since the age of about four. And it was always kind of really frustrating. It was always something that I was like, no, would you stop this? And I would always tell Jessica, I'm like, you know, can you make sure when I'm gone, like, can you keep ESPN on or can you do something like, just because, you know what, I, I don't know what's going on here, but every time I come home, we're in princess dresses and we're playing glitter and we're playing Barbies and all this other stuff. And so finally, you know, this kept going all the way up until about the age of eight. And I remember I just got done with a large acquisition. We have a house down in, in Naples and, and um, I ended up coming home and it's a Friday and we're supposed to have dinner with my mom that evening. And I finally come home. Jessica's like in tears, you know, at the kitchen counter. I'm like, honey, what's going on? She's like, Elle's just been really bad today. I mean, just really recluse, you know, just not talking, being really mean to her brother and her sister. And I don't know what's going on here, Chris. So finally, I said, I'm, I'll handle this. I walked in. I said, Elle, what is going on? And she's like, he's like, Dad, I have no clothes to wear tonight with, with Nini, which is my mom. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you have a whole closet full of clothes. No, Dad, you haven't listened to me. Mom's not listening to me. I have no girl clothes. I'm like, you have no what? You, she, I have no girl clothes. I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm done with this discussion. Fine. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you to Macy's, and you're going to go out, and you're going to pick out an outfit. Whatever you pick out, you're going to wear out in public. Right, I, I, I want to stop you real quick. Uh, yeah. are, are you mad? Oh, I'm, I was mad. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I you, really, you're, you're, you're mad, but there has to be a part of you that's saying, you know, this no, shit's I'm beyond mad. my I'm just, comprehension, I'm, right? I'm, no, I'm just mad at this point. No, I'm not even mad. I'm just mad. Okay. I'm mad. I'm okay. angry. I come off the road. I'm, I'm just not happy with this whole discussion. So finally we go and I just goes, what do you know? I said, I'm going to take them and we're going to get them closed at Macy's. And that's it in the story. And we're going to see how, how we're going to, we're going to stop this out. I've seen this it's called scared straight, right? We're going to do right, this. Right. And so I remember going into Macy's. I re- I marched him through Macy's and I said, let me make sure you pick out one thing. You pick out an outfit you're wearing out in public. And that's it. So I asked this young associate, I'm like, Hey, where's the girl clothes? And so she goes for who? I said, for, for, for somebody about this age. And I point to Elle at the time. And so, so she goes, well, upstairs. So I said, all right, go pick something out. And, uh, she, Elle picked out this blue, 
skirt and this white shirt, and I'll never forget it. And literally goes in the dressing room, comes out, and has this big, huge grin on 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 the face. And like, it's a moment you just know. It just as a as a parent, you just you just like, oh my god. And came out, trolled around in this blue skirt, this white shirt, and said, "Daddy, don't I look beautiful?" Mm. And I remember at that point, I'm now confused. Now I'm at a point where I don't know what to say. We get in the car. This child was the recluse child. Remember, this child never spoke in public. This child never talked. This child never really did anything. Literally beeline from ballet to go meet my my mom and my my wife and the rest of our siblings and walked right in and owned the table that night. And I remember coming home and Jessica and I talking and we were just so confused. And I remember that this went on, this went on, this was March. We would then come back and we went to school and we went back and, you know, Elle would wear boy clothes to, to her school. And then, then at, at night, come home and put her that same blue skirt on and white bottoms. And I remember Jessica and I sitting here and there'd be nights we would cry ourselves to sleep. Like, what did we do wrong? Was it because I traveled so much? You know, was it, a, was I just not a good parent? Was I not a good dad? Um, you know, you go through the blame. Sure. But as I went through all those things, what I really started to, to know more about is doing research around this. And I said, you know what? I started doing research. I went to Children's Hospital. You know, we went through and talked to some amazing people there, Dr. Connor that's over there, and started really doing, you know, evaluations with some of the psychologists and just kind of working through. And that was the moment that Jessica and I chose love over, over being right or wrong. We chose love of our child. And we said, you know what, we're going to support our child any which way our child, you know, chooses to live. You know, there's no reason that people sit back and say, you know, when did, you know, like, how do you know who Elle's going to like? You know, people are like, you know, do you think Elle's going to like, you know, boys? Or do you think Elle's going to like, you know, girls? I'm like, that has zero to do with that. Right. That's, that's, that's who they go to bed with, not who they go to bed as. Right. Who they go to bed as is somebody different. I mean, and so we sat back and. And we look at it today now, we're so blessed because, yes, we may be mourn the loss of what we thought it was going to be, but we got something so much better. We got something that is so much brighter. We got a child that talked, a child that went from the bottom of our class to now in the top of our class. And it was because we just chose to be more open. We were like, look, this is, this is something that we want to stand behind. Is we're going to stand behind who she is. And so that was the moment that, uh, you know, we decided that we would, you know, work with Children's Hospital. That was the moment we decided that, we would go out there and try to do and get more information on this. And we started to find out that, you know, the suicide rates for transgender youth yep. was like 40% yep. attempted suicide. Yep. Yep. And we just couldn't have that. I couldn't imagine not having my child in my life. I couldn't imagine having my child be a runaway or having my child not to be in a house that was filled with love. I see this every day and I didn't want to have that for my kid. And so at the end of it, you know, some people are like, well, you went to Catholic high school. How can you get behind it? I'm like, because I get behind love. Yeah. I get behind, I get behind the love of, of my child. I don't have to understand everything. Every day I keep learning something new. Every day, I, you know, I just want to be more kind of open and, and understanding that, that, that I'm, I'm there to be that protector of that child and that voice of that child. And, and that's what, that's what we did. We chose love instead of, you know, what, Somebody might dictate as their gender at birth, and and that's kind of how we've operated. Cincinnati Children's Hospital, you mentioned it. For those that don't know, it's routinely ranked as one of the best children's hospitals, not only in the United States but all over the world. Uh, you partnered with 
Cincinnati Children's Hospital to form a nonprofit organization. It's called Living with Change. Before I ask you about the organization, you know, you, you talk about you chose love. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of tough nights you talked about with your wife. You know, did we do something wrong? Did, 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 was I gone too much? All those things that any parent is going to go through, regardless of what the issue might be with one of their children. It could be any number of things. But, you know, how have you, your wife, um, your other children lived with change uh, being with LC every day? I mean, because I, I still got to imagine that, you know, that, that, that every day as LC gets older, there, there's going to be something new that you haven't seen or thought about before, right? Or your other kids yep. or your wife. Yep. Yeah. Every day we learn something new. I mean, you know, every day, um, you know, we have to be the advocacy. We have to be educated um, and we have to support her, you know. Um, but every day we're learning. There is no, there is no playbook for this. Um, people are like, you know, uh, is there a manual I can read? I mean, I probably get 30 calls a week from, uh, different people. It could be C-suite executives here in Cincinnati. It could be, uh, some of my, uh, young presidents, uh, organization, which is 30,000 plus people worldwide. And they reach out because they know the story. They know about L and they have a family member. It could be a child, could be a niece, could be a nephew, could be, um, you know, a, a, a sibling. And, you know, and what I find is there's just not enough information out there. Um, and so what happens is when there's not enough information, people get scared because they don't know what to do or how to act or, or what to say. And that's why I say love. And that's why, you know, when you sit back and you say, yeah, we choose love. It's because that's really, that's really the key to this, being there to listen to them, being there to accept them, being there to um, be there just to just support any which way we can and, and not to judge and not to uh, prejudge somebody. That's, that's kind of what we sit down and, and talk about. And, and families are like, how do we have conversations with grandparents? How do we have conversations with, you know, how do we, how do we let other people know? And I said, listen, I think education is always key. I think you need to, you need to sit down, let the, let the child take the lead and knowing that you're going to be there to support along the way. And that's exactly what we did with Elle. Her brother and sister are the same way. Um, you know, they are, they are on board. They, they know her as LC. They love her as LC. Um, they don't know her as her, her birth name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of, that's been something that we as a family have chosen. Now we live in a very isolated bubble, right? We, we live in a, you know, I, I'm a CEO of a large organization. So I have a lot of means. I have a lot of ways to, to go out there and do things for my child that others can't. And I need to make sure that not just my child, but all of these children have a voice or have somebody to support them, have somebody to love them, have somebody to be able to care for them. And our job at this foundation is to make sure that we're giving more information into others' hands. Off, uh, uh, some of our other CEOs, some of our other business leaders here in town, it's us to make the change and make it acceptable and make it not safe for 99% of people, but how do we make our community safe for 100%? Because there's no sense, there's no difference in my child being a transgender child, you know, and getting bullied or, hey, how about this? You know, like, what about the kid that maybe plays in the band that got bullied or maybe the kid in the math club or the chess club or whatever? Nobody wants to see their kids hurt. Nobody wants to see their kids bullied. Nobody wants to see their kids not want to live mm-hmm. and, and have an awesome life. 
And that's what our job is to do, is to make this place better in which we found it. And that's exactly what I think all of us can do. All of us have the ability to learn. And if I can learn, I was a alpha male and I was not accepting. But I will tell you, when it knocks on your door, you know what? Can I tell you? I, I wish I would have been more accepting in the beginning. I sure. wish I would have been more open in the beginning. And I wasn't. But I had to learn and I had to educate myself and I had to take those steps. And, and today I have more love for this child than I could ever, ever imagine. And, and people are like, you have, what, what do you mean? I'm like, well, because this person, this person has one of the strongest people I know. Mm-hmm. And it's taught me more about my own life and where I'm going and where I want to be in, in, in remembrance, what my legacy is going to be. Yeah, great. Everybody know, you know with Pure Romance, but my legacy is really is how do I make sure that we do make this place better? How do we make impact? How do we make change? How do we make it safe for 100% of people? Um, and that's kind of what that, that we're trying to do every day. So what is living with change? So living with change, it's pretty simple. It is a, it's a 501c3 organization. We really started out giving money to uh, uh, $2 million we donated to uh, Children's Hospital. And that was to ensure that we went from being a clinic to a center. That was a really big deal because when you're a clinic, everybody's kind of donating their time. Everybody's kind of like, you know, hey, I can I maybe be able to fill in for a little bit of time here or fill in a little bit of time there for the hospital. And I remember sitting down with Michael Fisher and saying, look, I want to make a donation. I think Michael thought I was going to come in with a, you know, 200000 or 100000 I said, look, I want to make rapid change, but I want to get this thing up and moving because there's been, you know, at the time there was about 700 patients that had been through. Now we're up to like almost 2,000 so or 2,100 you're talking, when you say 700 patients, you mean there are 700 yes. kids who have families yes. who are looking yes. for answers on what in the world is going on here and what yes. do we need to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, really what it was. And, and so what, what happened is your only times you could really see from these doctors were when they were done with their own rounds and they would dedicate some of their time. So the times would be like five o'clock at night till nine o'clock at night. Um, there was a waiting list for people to be able to see some of these doctors. And I didn't want that to happen because we need to, we needed to make this address, this change quickly. So we were able to come in there. We did a $2 million donation to Children's Hospital to really give them the support that they needed, making sure we have full-time doctors. We have a full-time, uh, somebody that navigates for, uh, the parents navigates for, you know, being able to get them to support groups, whatever advocacy training they need. All of those things that would, would happen inside of Living with Change. And that's exactly what we did when we set out with, with, uh, Children's Hospital. Now, we have, since that point, we've now started to put together new programs together, which we're working on educational programs uh, for, you know, uh, for families, for corporate offices, uh, for also school programs that we can go through and help them mm-hmm. uh, how to make sure that they're using proper pronouns, how to make sure that they understand um, how to work with the families that maybe have a transgender youth. Because there's so many questions. There's not, like I said, a playbook, a, a rule book, a guide on this. So we do a lot of support. We do a lot of community-facing, um, you know, uh, uh, advocacy programs that we can do. And we're going to continue to keep doing that. Right now, I'm looking for a space in in, uh, in Cincinnati where these children can come, where they can get, you know, not only training and education for themselves, but create like kind of a, a community for them. Um, also making sure that we get some of the best psychologists that we can possibly get. Uh, also some of the best you know, resources when it comes to families, when it comes to grandparents, you know, children, siblings, things that we didn't have access to when we first went through this process. Mm-hmm. We had to figure all these things out by ourselves. But now 
we want to bring that almost like how the Boys and Girls Club has a location for kids to go to. We want that same location for, you know, transgender youth. So I'm working on that project right now. I'm hoping to break ground by mid uh, first quarter of 2021 and to really be able to give a, 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 a home to living with change, not just donate to children's hospital, but also create the support, the education and the resources that go along uh, with everything that's going on in the LGBTQI community. Well, I, I can tell you because um, I've just, you know, recently uh, gotten very involved with the Northern, uh, the Children's Home in Northern Kentucky, and they're one of the most highly credited places in the United States dealing with um, an extraordinarily high number of, of gay and trans children who, you know, they've been thrown out of their homes by their moms and dads. Yeah. I mean, the first time I went over there, after I made the homophobic slur that I made, um, which has completely changed my life. And I don't mean just changed my career. I mean, it, it, it changed my life because the last, you know, 100 days, I probably spent 40, 45 of them in some form or fashion in the LGBTQ community. And, uh, and I'm not patting myself on the back sitting here talking about it. I'm saying that, like you, I needed to change and I needed to learn and needed to grow. And Rick Worth, who runs that children's home of Northern Kentucky, um, what they're doing with gay and trans kids is is mind boggling. Um, and, and you know they do amazing they job. Do amazing they really job. do. You know, if they you, do. If you, Chris, so you know, look at the end of the day, okay? Through you admitted earlier, you know, there there, there was there was sadness, there was embarrassment, there was shock, mm-hmm. there was questioning as a parent. You're probably questioning your kid, what the heck is going on here? You know, you, you mentioned the, the Barbie dolls and all these kinds of things and, and, and the dress and I, I don't have the right clothes, all of yep. that, okay? But I'm seeing, and the numbers you brought up earlier, whether it was suicide rate, addiction rate, alcohol and drugs, all of these kinds of things are extraordinarily higher for gay or trans children than they are for quote-unquote straight kids. It's not to say straight kids got it made in the shade in this world. I'm not suggesting that. Nope. But you start looking at all those numbers and all those situations. If there's one person that's listening to this podcast that's sitting there saying to themselves, Maybe they're going through what what you and your wife were going through, coming home and and Elsie's four years old, and you're seeing some things that you're just wondering what's going on. Or maybe they've just recently found out that their son or daughter is struggling with uh, gender identity, or their son or daughter has recently shared with them that they're gay. If there's one thing you would say to them, the moment they find it out for the first time, and yours was more of like an ongoing mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? And maybe that's the case for most parents in this situation. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't been through it, so I can't walk in your shoes. But if you're if you're to say to somebody, "Hey, man, this yeah. is what that I would I would give you a piece of advice," it would be what change is inevitable. Growth is an option. Things that what you thought they were going to be maybe don't turn out the way that you thought that they were supposed to be. And so all we can do is we can choose to grow from them and choose to learn from them. And that's exactly what we have talked about is that we have the ability to understand that if change is going to happen, no matter our life, things aren't going to be the way we thought that they were going to be. But how do we grow from them? 
How do we learn from them? And how do we support from them? And I think that's the big, that's the big takeaway for all of us is that we need to be there and we've got to constantly be growing as human beings. We got to constantly be adapting and learning where others come from. I know that I don't need to agree on everything everybody says, but when has it been in our country now? We can't even talk politics. We can't talk. We can't even talk and having just normal dialogue and normal discussion. Why? Because I think that that's what we all have to understand is that we have to be an, a, a place of growth. We have to be a place of being able to continuously keep developing and evolving. I mean, we as a, as a society, I think that's the biggest thing I would tell somebody is that, you know, change is going to happen. Are you going to grow from it? Or are you going to stay the same? And I think that that's what I, uh, I would tell somebody right now. I'm going to continue to keep growing. I wasn't on the page in the beginning. I didn't understand. But you know what? Just like my mom has told me all the time, you know what? Stay a student. Stay a student. Continue to keep learning. See people and, and meet people and where they're at and to be able to learn from them, be able to grow from them. And I think that's how we'll become better, better, you know, human beings, better society. And, and I think that, you know, I, I applaud you for, you know, what you're doing and I applaud going into and, and taking a leap. You can use the same thing that I'm doing. Use your microphone. Use the microphone that you have to make change. And I think that that's what all of us need to think about is how can we go out there and make this place better in which we found it? This has been great. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I'd like to thank our producer engineer, Dave Armbruster. I'm Tom Brenneman, and you're listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.